This is the Alchemized Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ava Johanna, and I am so grateful to have you here joining me for yet another soul expansive conversation. My intention with every episode is to show you through storytelling and in-depth conversations that you, yes, you, are capable of creating anything you desire. Alongside yours truly, you'll hear from thought leaders and industry voices, and together we will teach you how to come alive in your authentic expression and remember the infinite power of your soul. You were truly put on this planet to have it all. So together, let's align with our divine selves and alchemize your life. everyone. Welcome back to the Alchemized Life podcast. I'm so excited for this episode and I am really, really looking forward to you hearing the depth of this conversation because first and foremost, I've never had anyone like Becca on and she's just so epic and keeps it so real and I just feel like she provided so much freaking value but also because Becca is a founder or is the founder of a seven-figure 30-employee service-based business brick and mortar in Lexington, Kentucky. So why I'm so excited about this is because I've had so many conversations lately with individuals that are a part of this community or have been a part of programs or the Academy of Breath um, inside of the expansion portal that I ran last year with Amanda Merritt that have shared coming out of the pandemic, they have realized that building an online business is actually not their desire and they want to create something on the ground, brick and mortar in the 3D. And so Becca and I are a part of the same mastermind and just seeing Becca's business, hearing her expertise, connecting with her deeper outside of the mastermind, I knew that I wanted to have a conversation on the podcast and to share her wisdom because Honestly, for me, I know nothing about brick and mortars. And at the same time, it's something that's really exciting, but also kind of intimidating, right? Like one of the things that we talked about was how to create capital or how to be able to invest and take risks in order to build the business and to get something running off of the ground. I'm very lucky. I have 1000% invested a lot of money into my online business, but I've always had this different relationship to what it takes to build a brick and mortar. And so Becca shares on the podcast how she did it, her story. And what I love about it is that so many of the sentiments around and things that I believe to be true about online businesses, Becca has translated into a very digestible and relevant for those of you that are interested in building something on the ground. So I'm really excited for this conversation. And we talk about everything from debt to taking risks to scaling a business from a small single room to multiple locations. And I just really love Becca's energy. So before we get into the episode, let me share where you can find Becca. Her Instagram is at one Becca Pike, B-E-C-C-A-P-I-K-E. Her website is hellyescoachingonline.com. She also has a podcast that I'm going to be on soon called The Hell Yes Entrepreneur. And Becca is a wife and mom of four young kids, as well as an avid athlete and wine lover. At age 25, Becca found herself still bartending and scraping pennies together to sustain her less than exciting lifestyle of nonstop double shifts and restaurant overtime. We definitely connected on this in the episode because if you didn't know this, I basically grew up in the service industry. 
After hitting an emotional and financial rock bottom, Becca turned a new leaf and dove headfirst into learning everything she could about business owning by launching her massage therapy business. Seven years later, she finds herself the owner and founder of a seven-figure service-based business, as well as the owner and founder of a multiple six-figure online business coaching company. She lives in Lexington, Kentucky with her husband, Mark, and all of her children. So I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Make sure to reach out and let us know what resonated most and definitely get in touch with Becca if you are interested in creating a brick and mortar of your own. Becca, welcome to the Alchemized Life. I'm so happy to have you on. I just feel like this conversation is going to be fiery. It's going to be grounded. It's going to clearly provide everyone so much value. And for those that are listening, Becca and I are in the same mastermind and started, I think, at the same time. I think that's what we figured out earlier this week. And what I was so excited about having you on around is just the dichotomy of your experience against mine as far as you building such a abundant and just like successful brick and mortar multiple times and me having the online experience but zero experience with brick and mortar and so I've never really been able to speak to anybody about this and at the same time three years out from the pandemic I really think that a lot of people are now seeing that like building an online business is not the only way. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. So, okay. First, we have to start with a little bit of your story because there, I was thinking about this this morning too. I was like, it's so funny because I remember when I was a server and I was in the food and beverage industry. So my dad, he was a server, worked in the food and beverage and hospitality industry for 30 plus years. So it was everything that he's known and has done throughout his entire career. I don't think he's ever done anything different. And so when I was in my teenage years, I never did retail. It was always food and beverage, um, working as a hostess, working as a server, uh, working as a food runner and a busser. And in my early 20s, I was working at Nobu in San Diego, and it was a really incredible career, right? Like working at, in fine dining, those people become career servers where they make good money and that's kind of the path and they stay within the fine dining space. And at a certain point, I was kind of at this fork in the road where I could stay as a server or excuse me, I wasn't even serving at that point. I stay on the path of becoming a server or completely pivot and go into the desk desk space, the nine to five space. And that was literally like my dream. I was like, it'd be so cool to have a nine to five. And I did that for like three years and was like, what was I thinking? Well, when um, you work evenings for so long, you're dying yeah. for a daytime job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, I just want to be able to hang out with my friends on the weekend and not be in the restaurant. And so I feel like we both came from a space of working in food and beverage industry and have both been on this path of creating successful companies and, and businesses. And so I'm so curious, like, if you can just share a little bit more of your story and like, where where the path diverged into where you are today. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So first and foremost, I just want to say I'm so thankful that I had a career in serving. I truly believe that servers just have something that other people don't have, because you have to be able to 
first of all, you have to be able to walk up to a large table and like command attention. And you have to have the soft skills and the communication skills and you gotta be able to upsell, you know, someone wants a vodka soda and you need to make it a Grey Goose and soda. Like all of the things that I learned in, in restaurant work, I think just totally went over to my business skills. And I'm so thankful for that. But yeah, I was in the restaurant industry for way too long. Um, I went to college. I graduated with a kinesiology and pathology degree. So basically my only option was like be a PE teacher or um, be like go on to get my master's to eventually go on to physical therapy school, which I didn't want to do. So after college, I continued to work the same job that I put myself through college with. I was slinging cocktails at a cocktail bar downtown here in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And, you know, just to be honest, I did it for too long. It's kind of like I woke up one day and all the girls that I was cocktail waitressing with were moving on and they were getting married and they were going to get their masters and their PhDs and they were all doing something with their lives. And I wasn't. I was just waking up every day and continuing to not do much of anything besides sling drinks. And basically, a girl came in one day and she told me that she was going to go to massage therapy school. And she was telling me about how, kind of like what you said, she's like, you don't have to work nights anymore. She's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to become a massage therapist and I'm going to be able to work days. And they get paid $25 an hour. <laughs> back then I was like, oh my gosh, $25 an hour. I can be done with work by 5 p.m. Sign me up. And at this time in my life, I had just met my husband and I was just like yearning for a more normal life. I was living a fast paced life. I was getting off work at two. I was going out drinking with my friends until three, trying to wind down. I was sleeping till noon. It wasn't the life I expected to have at age 27. Um, and so I went to massage therapy school and I became a massage therapist and I spent my whole life in sports and um, I was an athlete. And when I got out of massage school, I realized that there was such a large hole in Lexington, Kentucky for anybody that wanted to get a deep tissue sports therapy type of massage. It felt like you kind of had to know someone who knew someone like in a back alley to find someone that was good at this type of work. My favorite and places to get massages. I know the sketchier, the better. And, and I was like, we need in Lexington, we just need someone that is capable of doing sports massage. And I had such a strong community in the athletic world. And so I became a sports massage therapist. And at this time I had no intention of it becoming a big business at all. Um, I was just kind of giving sports massages out of this room that I rented out of this, literally it was a back room to a CrossFit gym. It had no air conditioning. It had no heat. It was disgusting to be quite honest, but I was so proud of it and I was loved it so much. And there was such a hole and such a need for the type of work that I was doing that I found instant success to be quite honest. Um, I became booked out for weeks on end um, I used my soft skills from waitressing to to really talk to people about coming back and the maintenance and, and keeping up with their regimen. And <laughs> I did that for about six months before I hired my first massage therapist that could do the same type of work as me. And then my second and then my third. And then I had about 42 employees within two years. Wow. It blew up. 
yes, it blew up. It, um, it, it branded itself. I mean, it created such a name here in Lexington. I'm so thankful for it every, every day. And then we grew out of our space very quickly. We went from a, that one room gym to, I signed a lease to have a two room space. And I thought, wow, it's going to take a while to grow into this. We were there for six weeks, six oh weeks. Gosh. I had to break the lease and I went and got a seven room space. And we were there for about a year before we ended up building our own facility. And um, we put 10 rooms in it. And then within a year, we built a second facility. And uh, it's been going since then. Wow. That is just for me, when you're, when you're saying like it, you know, it blew up immediately. It's like, well, obviously, because you found the thing that people really desired and maybe didn't even know that they desired, but once it was there, realized what a necessity it was. And I just feel like that's such a great reminder for people because, you know, at first glance, someone might look at massage therapy and be like, well, there's a million massage therapists out there. Like what's going to make me special or how am I going to deal with saturation in, in my community? And I think that the, the, the thing that I'm hearing from you is that there really isn't saturation when you find your lane and you stick in it, stick to it. Well, and it's funny that you say that. So Lexington, Kentucky happens to be the home of the most accredited massage school in the nation. So there's people that come from all over the world. Literally, there are people from Japan in my class all over the world come to Lexington to go to massage school. And what has happened here in, in this small town is people have come here to go to school, but then they've stayed. And so there's this overabundance of massage therapy places in Lexington. A normal city of our size has about 25 massage therapy practices. We have 262 last time I checked because wow. people are coming here, they are staying and they are starting their massage practices. So whenever I came into owning a business, I remember just holding on to the fact that from what I learned in a book, saturation isn't as scary as we think it is. Saturation can actually be a really good thing. So in Lexington, because there's so many massage therapy places, the public is more knowledgeable about massage. Most everyone has had a massage. People are talking about massage. There's massage on every corner. So it's just in your face more. And I remember thinking that it was a superpower that I lived in a town where massage was so abundant. I never thought of it as being a problem. And, and I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going to have the biggest massage place in Lexington for sure, because I think this thought. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a great reframe on saturation too, because, you know, we hear all the freaking time, whether it's the coaching industry or content creators, there's always this fear of like, what do I do, do in an oversaturated industry? And I've really never thought of it that way of like, what a gift it is that people are talking about how essential your work is already. Yes, it's such a gift. And I try to, I give perspective to my business coaching clients. I tell them, I'm like, listen, let's just think about it this way. If I live in Lexington, Kentucky, and there, the population here is about 400,000 people. So let's say that 200 of them, 200,000 of them are grown adults that could come get a massage if they wanted. And let's say out of those 200,000, only 100,000 of them could afford to get massages often. Okay. So we swindled it down. And I think this number is pretty conservative. If 1% of 100,000 tried to come into massage strong right now, we couldn't handle that. 
Like if they tried to come in this week, there wouldn't be enough room. There is just so many people on the planet. There are so many people that are surrounding our businesses that we think because we have this, you know, this sliver of the universe that is our Instagram following, that that is the only people that are going to buy from us. Or we have this sliver of the universe that is Lexington, Kentucky, that those are the only people that could buy from us when we're forgetting how big the world is, how many people there actually are, and that we couldn't even handle 1% of the population coming to our brick and mortar business. And for some of us, not even the online business as well, if they Mm -hmm. haven't made it scalable yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good point. And I hope that for everyone listening, that just like lets you take a little bit of that pressure off of your shoulders to believe that saturation is an issue. So I'm curious going back to this like major blow up of the actual brick and mortars that you created. What would you say like going into it, were there certain things where you're like, damn, I really wish that I knew this before I started, or I really wish that I did this instead of the action that I took, especially like with that first room that you were renting out? Yeah, of course. I mean, we can always look back and and realize what we could have done better. I mean, I was the business was growing so fast that I was like staying up late at night trying to read business books as fast as I could, trying to like keep up with this snowball that was running down a hill in front of me, right? And so I was just slapping a lot of things together, to be quite honest. And looking back now, you know, I was just a girl starting a business. I didn't have skills in managing people and hiring people and training people and and firing people properly and boundaries and all of that. And I had to take a very fast paced course in people and Mm. managing and leadership. And I think that in the beginning, there were times that I let my own boundaries get hurt. I also probably stepped on someone else's boundaries, not meaning to. I think that um, if I could go back, I would just talk to myself a little bit more about growing the business uh, with a little bit more grace for myself and for the people in it. We were just going so fast that I felt like none of us were able to breathe. And I wish I could go back and just tell myself to just take it slow, calm it down. Like this business isn't going anywhere. And I think back then I had such a lack mindset that I was like, I've got to grab the success while I can because it's right in front of me and, and I can't take my time and I can't turn people away. And um, I've come a long way since then, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is something that I've seen within myself too. And something that I was reflecting on earlier this week was how, I've been really intentional about shifting my relationship to success from less of a place of like I'm running away from the lack and scarcity of my childhood and my formative years because I think that at first that's what it was was like let me just like take 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 as much as I can because I want to run as far away from the environment and the experience of my what my life was in my early 20s and in my teenage years and it's been a challenge to really like step out of that because it is like, you know, it's, it's lack and scarcity ingrained over decades, not just like a few years. And it takes time to step out of the, I think like the hustle and like the, the distancing that we try and create for people that have had rough upbringings or a lot of financial trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And and you and I talked about this last week, you know, we come from a lot of the same 
things uh, as kids and as teenagers, and um, I'm still unraveling it. I mean, I think I've I've come so far, and if I had to compare myself to you know the average person, I think that I have healed more than most. But as we both know, it is a lifelong adventure, and um, every time I meet a a new level with success, it's like a lot of the same shit just comes back things that I thought I healed and they're just coming back in a different outfit because I'm at a different level. And I'm like, wait a minute, I thought this was gone, but yeah, it's, it's the human experience. Yeah. Same devil, different levels. I remember hearing that somewhere and I was like, Oh shit. Okay. That's (laughs) funny. I've never heard that same devil, different levels. Yeah. Yeah. So with the brick and mortars, again, I think something that I've heard a lot of people say lately and I've had conversations with people that have come in and out of my group containers is I realize and what they've said to me is like I realize that maybe the online space isn't necessarily for me and that I thrive more and get more excitement and feel more passion towards connecting with people in person like having that uh, having that deeper connection and touch with somebody because there's no screen or no technology separating us. And while clearly I am all for the online space and the freedom that it's afforded me in my life, I know that we're kind of waking back up to remember like brick and mortars were the OG businesses. And so do you have advice for anybody listening that maybe is realizing that they are more excited about creating something that's like actually in the 3D? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it came to my brick and mortar business, I felt so aligned. I felt so playful. I felt creative. I felt like everything that I did, I I didn't need a reason to do it. I didn't look around at other business owners to see if they were doing it, to see if I could give myself permission for it. And I think that's one of the reasons the business grew so fast. And then I later went on to start a business coaching company, um, hell yes, coaching online. And I honestly, to be quite frank, I just have had a hard time with it. And while it has been successful, I think a lot of the reasons that it is successful is because I'm running it a lot like a brick and mortar. Um, I'm running it, uh, basically to the people that are in my city to Lexington. I'm not necessarily trying to make it global. I'm not necessarily trying to push it out, um, through, through Instagram and through TikTok and through YouTube, I'm really keeping it close to home. And I think that's one of the reasons it has had the most success. And I noticed that whenever I'm having the hardest time, I have forgotten that. And I'm trying to push it out. And I'm trying, I'm getting out of my own lane. I'm getting out of my genius. And I'm trying to do things that aren't necessarily me. And so probably just today, you probably heard my voice message to our mentor. I mean, it's so ridiculous how beginner I feel in a lot of ways online. Like I sent a voicemail to her, voice message to her in the group chat. And I was like, hey, is it normal to like lose followers on Instagram? Like, I don't even know, you know, like this isn't my realm of genius. And she was like, yeah, it's normal. (laughs) Moving on. And I was like, okay. So what I want to say to your audience is if brick and mortar and 3D world and real life world feels comfortable to you and you don't necessarily feel good online and you're doing it because you think you should or you're doing it because your friends are doing it and they're having success, you definitely can play around with it and you know get out of your comfort zone and, and try it and give it a really good try. 
but there is something very magical and very different for brick and mortar that I think some of us possess and we just naturally possess it. And we're naturally good with people and we're naturally good at making connections and we're naturally good at networking. And if that is you, go all in. I love that. And, you know, even as you were saying that, I was thinking about the experience of stepping on stepping in my house for the first time. Like, even though it's not my business, it was like a physical manifestation of all of my hard work, all of my effort, all of the healing, like everything that had been leading up to that moment. And while it's not my brick and mortar, it was this physical representation and the feeling I got stepping inside of it was unlike any feeling I have ever experienced in anything that I've created yeah. online. And I, I really love my online work, but seeing that physical manifestation of, of my efforts was so cool. And like, even my, my boyfriend and I last summer decided to do this like huge patio project where we were literally pouring friggin' concrete for like eight hours a day. And I don't work with my hands ever. And so being able to, um, stand on the concrete after the concrete um dried yeah. I was like holy shit this is so cool and so like I so get it and at the same time for me I think there's a intimidation with brick and mortar because it's something that is so real and does require investment requires capital re requires um a lot of intentionality as well. And so like for someone like me or maybe someone who's listening, who's like, that would be really cool to do, but there's a lot of fears in, in the way. What would you like, how did, how did you get behind those fears when you were maybe not the first room, but like expanding into building your own facility or opening a second facility? Yeah, absolutely. So this is quite a funny story. We actually, um, oh, it's almost embarrassing to say, but here we go. I'm going to tell it right on your podcast. Um, when we went from the seven bedroom office that we were renting, we, we went to go build an actual building with, um, 10 rooms and this, the rental for the seven place was easy. I mean, it was just, a, it was rent. You pay monthly and you get the seven rooms. This other project was a full build out. I mean, it was a completely empty space. We did HVAC, we did, um, electrical, we did all the drywall, all like laid the concrete floors, everything. And you're right. There's something very magical about watching that come together in real time and in person. And mm -hmm. I shed many tears standing on the concrete floors. I didn't lay the concrete floors, but somebody did and they did it for me and it felt damn good. Yep. And, but the only reason, this is the embarrassing part. The only reason that we pulled the trigger on that building is because we made a very large mistake and we basically way underestimated the amount of money that it was going to take. And we signed a contract and the amount that we thought it was going to take, we were about eight times too short mm. on that. And so we did things backwards where instead of getting an estimate for what the build out was going to be, we signed the contract because we were dum-dums and we were young and basically put our names to paper and then had to come up with eight times the amount of money that we thought we would have to come up with. And let me tell you, it was the worst two weeks of our lives. We like cried every night that this is, I'm saying we, because my husband had to come in on this and like help me because I was freaking out. And um, now we look back and we laugh so hard and we're so thankful that we did that on accident because I don't know that we ever would have had the courage to do it otherwise. 
I don't think we ever would have said yes. I don't think we ever would have signed the contract. And I think we would have stayed where we were because we were not in a place to drop $100,000 on a build out. And we had never used that kind of money for anything. And then just a year later, we ended up dropping the same amount to build the second location because it ended up being so successful. So one of the reasons I think that my online business took off the way it did was because when I started my massage therapy businesses, they each took about $100,000 to launch. So the first one took $100,000. The second one took $100,000. So when I came into Hell Yes Coaching, I just thought, this is a startup of a company. I didn't think to myself, I'm just going to open my computer and hopefully get some clients. I went at it like a real business. I threw down a bunch of money on a website, on a graphic designer, on a podcast manager. I like went in as if this was the real deal and, and people acknowledged it as the real deal. And I often have clients that come to me and they're like, I want to start an online business, but I don't want to spend any money and mm-hmm. I'm not going to pay for any programs and I'm not going to learn how to sell and I'm not going to learn how to do whatever, you know, sell online, do, do classes, courses, none of that. And I'm like, well, what do you think a startup costs? You know, like, yes, we live in a world that it's amazing that we get to open up our MacBooks and we get to, you know, create a business. And it's such a privilege that we have all of these free platforms that we can market ourselves on. But at the same time, like, we don't want to be um, so privileged that we are unwilling to bet on ourselves and to, and to market ourselves. And so when I went into the coaching company, I went all in balls to the wall. Like I'm marketing a hundred thousand dollars this year to get educated to the highest degree in online businesses. Yeah. I love that. And I think that it's so important to just reiterate the impact of looking at your business, whether it's a brick and mortar or an online business as a startup, because for me also like coming from like digital marketing, which was the last few years before I transitioned into working for myself, I saw the type of money and the type of experiences and 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 the products and the training that went into creating a brand. Like we literally took products or excuse me, it was multifamily. So it was, it was apartment buildings from um, from concept into like a full building. And so I saw that entire process of branding, of naming, of all the different people that are involved, of project management and the different ad types that you would use to even promote. And I, I feel grateful for that because not only did I get the experience of seeing all those different pieces, so it helped me with marketing, but it also, I think, set me, set my mindset on the right path of knowing that like, if I wanted to make this into a business, I would need to invest in it. And I do think that a lot of people think that they can just create a business without investing time or money or energy into learning how to be a business owner, learning how to brand, learning how to sell. And what I see a lot of people do is just say, oh, you know what, I'll just like do whatever this successful person is doing without actually knowing like what are the thought process behind where they're, why they're doing it? What type of audience do they have? How long have they been in the game for? And then all of these people who probably have a really big mission on their heart and something really incredible to share end up getting in their own way, usually unplug- unplugging and pulling the cord before anything ever even happens because they convince themselves because something that worked for someone else doesn't work for them that it must not be meant for them. And so I just think that it's so important to 
have this conversation and like really set the record straight of what's required and what it takes in order to create a business. Yeah. And you hit on a really good point, which is it's so easy to look at a coach online and just try to mimic what they're doing, but you're not getting the full context. You don't have the full picture. You don't know why they're doing it. You don't know what they're going for. You don't know what they're setting up their audience to do. And so without getting like taught, without being in masterminds, without, you know, learning from a coach and understanding exactly how they're doing things, you're just missing so much context. And it's like trying to, I don't know, go to university, but you don't actually step into any of the classes. You're just like looking at your friend's homework. Like you're not going to get the degree and you're not going to have the understanding. You're just missing too much. Yeah. I love that analogy. So if someone doesn't have capital, what do you like what do you suggest do you did you ever use investors did you have you always just used the money that's been coming in and put put it back into the business no i've used lots of bank loans um i think that we live in a world where people shy away from uh debt and here's my take on it if you are taking out loads of debt for your personal desires like your cars and your shoes get out of here you know no that's a no for me but if you're taking out debt because you are going to build a monster of a company, that's a whole nother thing. That is a full return on investments. So mm-hmm. I was never worried about taking out the debt to build something that was going to be a massive return. It never scared me. And to be honest, I think the reason it didn't scare me was because I was so comfortable losing it all if I needed to. I feel very comfortable in my skin. Like we have created so much wealth now, but if it came down to it, And I had to go back to waitressing. I'm not above that. I also feel like I have knowledge that nobody can take from me. I have business knowledge that will never leave me aside from some traumatic accident. Hopefully I will always have my knowledge. And if my businesses were to completely crumble, I would be able to build them back up. I trust myself. If there's anyone on the planet to trust, it's me, right? And I hope everyone feels that way about themselves. And so when it came to taking the risk of borrowing money from a bank, it came easy to me because I believed that it would happen. I believed that it would work and I believed that my idea would flourish. And worst case scenario, if it didn't, I would be okay because I still had my husband. I still had my brother. I still had my kids. I still have everything that I love. And that to me is all that matters. I think when people get so concerned and so worried about risk and taking out debt, it's because they're so fearful of losing the materialistic things that they have. They're so worried. You know, they're keeping up with the Joneses so much that like if their Mercedes were were to be taken away and don't get me wrong, I love Mercedes, but like if their Mercedes were to be taken away, that would somehow crumble their ego. And I just don't play that game. So I take out the debt. I, I risk things. Um, and so far it has worked very well for me. And we kind of have a rule to ourselves. Like there's a cap amount of debt that we allow our businesses to have. Um, and if we decide we want to do this new business adventure, then, and we're at our cap, we don't do it. We wait, we wait till we get that debt back down. And then if we want to take out more debt again, fill it back up to do another venture, then we do. Do you, I first, before I even ask the question, I just have to say, I appreciate you sharing that so much because I have definitely had my ebbs and flows with my relationship to debt and I don't have any personal debt at all. However, I have taken on quite a bit of debt for my business and 
you know, it goes through seasons where it's like, I feel fine about this. And then sometimes where I'm like, oh, like I really want to pay this down and I don't want to have any debt at all. And so I just appreciate your reframe. And for me, what really lands from what you shared also is just like knowing that I can create money on demand, knowing that I can trust myself, knowing that if I fall down, I'll be able to get back up. And I've proven that to myself over and over and over again. And I think that, you know, in the beginning, that was a lot more shaky than it is now, where in the beginning, I hadn't really built that trust muscle. But now, you know, multiple years into the business, I'm like, I I got myself like I've fallen down a lot more times than I have had major, major success. And so I know that I'm the type of person who's going to make it happen no matter what. I know that I'm going to show up no matter what. I know that even on the days where it's hard, I'm not going to give up on myself. And I think that like in order to take risks, in order to like feel really rock solid, like with the debt conversation, it's like having that sense of self and that, and that confidence that, and really what it is, is a decision, right? Of like, I just know that I'm going to show up no matter what. And even if I fail, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And just having insane amounts of grace for myself has been really helpful. You know, we have, we have four kids, three of which are girls and being a, being a boy mom has been very fun, but being a mom to girls has been really insightful for my own um, inner child and realizing how I talk to myself. And one of the things that I have been pleasantly surprised with is realizing that I, even before I had daughters, before I had kids, that I talk to myself the same way that I talk to my daughters. Like if my daughters make a mistake, I don't berate them. You know, I just say, you know, we all make mistakes. This is what we do. We learn from them. Right. And interestingly, I, I think that this has helped me in so many facets of life, which is when I make mistakes, when I take out too much debt, when I invest in something that flops, which I have, I'm just like, all right, Becca, like, whoops, we got this. Like, all we got to do now is pivot and we got to figure it out. Like, I don't do the whole, I'm a piece of crap. I don't do the whole, like, what was I thinking? I know what I was thinking. I had really good intentions and it didn't work out. And there's going to be a lot of that to come still. And I'm here for it. Yeah, I love that. And I just think that it can be really hard to practice, like, having compassion with yourself. You know, I think that we're oftentimes our own greatest enemy and like the hardest on ourselves and that's been a practice for me at least is like really showing up to everything that I'm doing with such grace because the reality is like a lot of people don't have the guts to do what we're doing and just showing up is like a win within itself yeah I completely agree absolutely so a technical or more like yeah, no technical question for you. You said that there's a certain amount of debt that you like allow. There's a ceiling. Did you decide that number based off of like a percentage of how much revenue you have coming in every month? No, <laughs> totally made up the number like most things in my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I so when we took out the debt for uh, the first massage strong, it was a hundred thousand dollars. And then it was profiting so well that we went ahead and took out another 100000 for the next one, knowing that these two were going to be paid off within like three years. Okay. So I knew that I was comfortable having $200,000 of debt out for that company in particular, but I didn't want to go above that. I said, okay, I feel like we bid off enough. We have, you know, we're profiting back. We're paying it back well. 
And then to be quite honest, the pandemic hit and that changed a lot of things. We opened the doors to our second Massage Strong the day that they shut us down. And it was my birthday. And I'll never forget that day. We laid off 34 people in one day. We shut the doors down. Massage is not a industry you want to be in during a pandemic. I'll tell you that. Like a lot of touching, a lot of breathing in your face, <laughs> a lot of contact. No one wanted to get a massage at that point. And we had a really rough bout for about eight to nine months, maybe even a year. And it definitely shook us. It was one of those like, oh, this can all come tumbling down uh, situations. So I think that that played into it as well. But now we cap out at 200 for that business. Um, and then I have just another cap, another idea for my coaching company. Mm. And again, they don't come from any percentages. It's just like, what do I feel comfortable with? And what do I feel good about? Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Do you, knowing like what had happened in the pandemic, if something were to happen like that again, have you learned like a lot around what you would do to prepare to not get hit as hard? Well, I definitely dispersed where my income comes from. So before the pandemic happened, Hell Yes Coaching and business coaching was this thing that I kind of did. It was like one-on-one, -on -one, you know, people wanted to know how Massage Strong grew so well. So they wanted to pick my brain and I started charging for it. And that's as simple as the business was for a solid year. I never even thought about like taking it online. It was just word of mouth. It was just people that I knew. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, I'm going to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. And so that year, Hell Yes Coaching went from like $60,000 to $280,000 a year. And then it went to five fifty dollars the next year. So that I think was really a big wake up call to why I want a brick and mortar and an online. Um, so I, I diversified that as well as we started an Amazon, uh, fulfillment business. So we're selling things on Amazon. Uh, we're looking at buying another studio here in town, um, a yoga studio. We've started, we started a line of CBD cream that we sell at Massage Strong. So we have different things now. I definitely think the, the biggest lesson that I learned was when you have one really strong income, that is super weak because things mm -hmm. happen and problems arise. And I would rather have seven very small incomes than one very large one. And so mm -hmm. that's what I took from that. Yeah, I think that's such an important lesson. And that's been something, I don't know if you heard my my uh, voice message to Steph earlier today in the mastermind. I was like, I wanna do more than just a coaching business. I wanna do more than have my certification and I want to, I just want to diversify. I want to be like a true entrepreneur. I don't just want to have an online business or two online platforms. And I think where I have struggled, one is just bandwidth to like sit back and like think about opportunities, but also balancing time as well. So I'm curious, like, having these thriving businesses, the online coaching, now products as well. And the Amazon fulfillment, I imagine that's probably dropship. Um, but how do you how do you balance it all time wise? Well, I have a lot of amazing people that work for me. And uh, my husband has come on board and started working with me as well. And he is the opposite side of the brain of me. I am very creative. I am all of a sudden I will whip stuff out and I will throw it out there. I'm a connector. I'm a I'm a leader on camera, you know, all that stuff. He's 
back end, he's numbers, he's organized. I, I joke that us working together in business is me just making messes all over the place and he's running behind me, cleaning it all up. And that's what it feels like all the time. So I have a lot of people that work really well for me, but you know, I think my very favorite thing, going back to you saying you want to diversify and kind of see if you can, you know, try other entrepreneurial endeavors. One of my very favorite things about non, I guess just not coaching um, is you get to just kind of cuddle up in a cave and build a big ass business and no one's watching you. Mm-hmm. And I think you said you're introverted. Did you tell me that? Or am I mixing am, you up with yeah. someone? Yeah. 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 I, so I, I think that there is an introverted side of me that really loves staying in my PJs, surrounding myself with three to four brainiacs and drinking coffee for months on end and just building and planning and creating. I'm not in front of a camera. I'm not projecting myself out there. I'm not thinking up content. I'm not putting anything together. I'm working and creating and building this masterpiece that eventually might lead to me needing to be on camera, eventually might lead to um, more publicity. But my very favorite thing about business building is the time when no one's watching and no one knows what you're doing and you're just like cozied up brainstorming with people that you love. I could do it all day. Yeah, I honestly, I love that piece too. And that sometimes I'm just like, oh, how do I share like all of this excitement of the things that are going on behind the scenes? Because I'm very creative. You know, my background is in branding, it's in graphic design, it's in web development. And like, I love doing those things. And I love doing it for for my own for my own programs and my own businesses. And it's so funny because people are always like, who did your website? Who does your branding for all of your programs? I'm like, it's me because I love it. And I don't ever want to actually give it up. Like that's part of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite things to do when I have a new program or when I'm, when I'm working on a new project. And um, it's interesting because there's like the, the, the duality of like doing all of that behind the scenes, but also like wanting people to see that part of the, business and the excitement and the passion I feel for that. Um, because, you know, Instagram and social media is so one dimensional. Like I love conversations like this because we get to start adding new dimensions to who we are as human beings and as business owners. But for the most part, like there's only a certain amount of things that you're seeing on Instagram. And also I'm not going to be on there every single fucking hour of the day, sharing every single part of my life, because that's just so overwhelming for me and then for anybody watching. And so that's definitely been something that I've struggled with is, is, oh, there's so many cool things, but I'm not going to share it all because not all of it needs to be shared. Yeah. And I think some people just genuinely love being on Instagram all day. And I think that that's awesome. And I kind of wish that there was more of that in me. Um, I, I want to have an awesome Instagram, but I also don't. (laughs) And I also love not being, I love taking days off from it. And I have to continually remind myself because I've been living in this world where I'm growing my internet business. So I'm living in this world where I'm surrounding myself with people that are just killing it on Instagram and killing it on YouTube and killing it all over the place. And I have to take a step back a lot and remind myself that People have built and are still building massive, massive corporations, and they're not using any of these platforms, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I just did it five years ago, right? I just built Massagetron. There was no, there, I didn't do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to get caught up in thinking that you have to be phenomenal at all these different platforms, when in reality, you just have to be phenomenal at building a very quality business, um, and the people will flock to it, and word of mouth will happen, and success is inevitable. Can I ask, even though I think that this is a 
kind of broad question, so you can take a minute if you want, but what do you think are like the main components of being phenomenal at building a business? Hmm. So being a risk taker, you can be a brainiac and I know brainiacs in business, people that have their MBAs in business, but they're terrified of starting one. I'm thinking of one person in particular. He went to school over and over time and time again to learn everything you possibly can about business. And he works a very safe corporate job because he's too afraid to take out a loan. He's too afraid to do any of it. So you have to be courageous and you have to be a risk taker. Um, I think being able to like, I don't want to use what word, maybe you can help me. What word am I looking for? Not manipulate a conversation, but you want to be able to persuade a conversation. You have to be good with your words. You have to be a wordsmith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to be articulate. You have to be able to get people to want to be on your side. Again, waitressing. I swear. I swear it was waitressing. Just helped me out so much with this. But uh, you have to be willing to be able to go into banks and to persuade people to want to work with you, to want to invest with you, to want to come and and buy into whatever it is that you're doing. You have to be good with your words. And you don't, that doesn't mean that you have to have this phenomenal vocabulary. To be honest, I think my vocabulary is kind of lacking compared to a lot of people. Um, but that doesn't take away from my persuasion skills. I can persuade, a, I don't know, a camel into the desert. Was that camel away from the, I could persuade a camel into an ice bath. I don't know. I could do it. I love that but, one. That one's good. <laughs> but you have to be persuasive. You have to be a risk taker and uh, you have to just be open-minded, you know, and be willing to learn. I, when I was first starting Massage Strong, I was a sponge for everything. I mean, I joke because I didn't know how to run a credit card. I remember thinking, I want to start a business, but I don't, I don't know how to take payment. Like that's how beginner I was. I didn't have a background in business. I didn't come from entrepreneurs and it was this huge thing for me to learn how to get a square reader and like swipe someone's credit card. And I was so embarrassed. I didn't know how to do it. And that kept me from starting a business for like three weeks before I learned how to do it. And then I was like, oh, I'm, I can do it. I'm willing to start. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so silly, but there are so many people that are holding themselves back because they just haven't learned these very few teeny things that would make their business grow. So being open-minded, being willing to learn, being, being willing to push yourself into um, just really uncomfortable situations and asking for help all the time. I mean, my businesses were built on me Googling questions 24 hours a day. <laughs> How do Literally. I swipe a credit card? Literally. How do I get a bank loan? How do I do anything at all? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think the three words that will kill any business and any creative endeavor is I don't know. And if you can switch, I don't know to I'm willing to learn, it will open up so much more potential for you. And yeah. I just, anytime someone says, I don't know, I just am always like, nope, I'm, I don't accept that as an answer. Sorry. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. You don't, you don't get to say that in my world, you know? And I think also like coming back to that pers persuasive persuasion piece, I think a lot of people might be like, oh, well, I'm not naturally persuasive or I'm not naturally articulate or I don't, I'm not great with my words or I don't feel comfortable walking into the bank. And it's like you get comfortable by doing. And so having patience with yourself and, you know, like we've kind of been saying throughout this conversation, like putting in the work, putting in the time, getting the reps in until you do know how to talk to people, until you do yeah. know what the bank is looking for. 
Well, and it's funny because a lot of people will say that they're not good at selling and they're not good at persuading. But let me ask you this. When it comes to when you're sitting with your boyfriend or when you're sitting with your husband or when you're sitting with your sister and you want to go to a restaurant that they don't want to go to, they want to go to a different restaurant, who wins? Between you and your boyfriend, who wins? And if it's you, (laughs) you're persuasive. You're good at selling. People don't think they could go out and they could sell people on anything you could imagine, right? They're willing to sell their boyfriends on what restaurant they want to go to. They're willing to sell their mom on trying a pumpkin spice latte for the first time. They're willing to sell their husband on why they should have a new car. But then they're like, I'm not good at selling. I'm not persuasive. I'm like, you're persuasive in everything you do. You're just choosing to believe you're not persuasive in selling the thing that you want to be selling. Mm, Yes. So good. So good. Becca, thank you so much for coming on. I have absolutely adored this conversation and I just think that you have so many really cool perspectives and reframes around a lot of the things that all of us as entrepreneurs experience. And I think a lot of, you know, I see this with every single one of my clients trying to make it in the online space, but the way that you have lived it through building your businesses on the ground and like really getting your hands dirty with brick and mortars has I think it just creates a new a new vocabulary a new understanding and again just a a different perspective of the same sentiment but just said in a different way that just feels again really grounded and and I just appreciate you so much for coming on so where can people find you share a little bit about hell yes coaching if anyone is in Lexington Kentucky where are your massage studios share all the different places that we can find you and continue to learn from you Well, thank you so much for saying all that. I have absolutely enjoyed being on and I'm loving getting to know you more. This is just so fun. So you can find me. I've got a podcast called the Hell Yes Entrepreneur Podcast. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at one Becca Pike. And you can, of course, just find my website, hellyescoachingonline.com. If you're in the Lexington, Kentucky area, you know where Massage Strong is. You already know. (laughs) I love that. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Mic drop. (laughs) Uh-huh. You already, I don't need to give addresses. Yeah, you already uh, know. You've been here before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're probably leaving your massage right now listening oh to this gosh. podcast. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.